to begin, uh, let me just say this. Uh, I, I need to ask you for your prayers. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, okay, here's how I want to start. I want to start with the kids. We start with the kids every Sunday. Kids, uh, right here, uh, top of uh, the uh, hour. Uh, let me ask you this question. What do y'all pray for? Kids. Like if, you would, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, maybe like one thing that you pray for. What's something that you pray for sometimes? Anybody want to volunteer? Any kids want to let us know? I know it's like a personal question. This is family. Anybody? Anybody want to share something that they pray for? It could be, could be anything. Big, small. No? I'll tell you. Go ahead. Say it again. Pray to the Lord. Awesome. Yes. Yes. What do you pray for? For COVID to end is a great prayer request. Any others? I can tell you my kids, my kids always pray for like a good day at school, good night's sleep, that their brother would be nicer to him. Any other prayer requests? Parents, you want to... I'm just, oh, okay, hey, so kids, I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. is about a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth went rock climbing. Do you all know what rock climbing is, kids? Okay, it's, you climb the side of a cliff, which is crazy. Uh, but there are people who do it, who are crazy, crazy people. They go rock climbing. But, but there's, you know, you go with harnesses, you go with ropes. And, and so this is her first time, Elizabeth's first time to go rock climbing. And she's super, super nervous. She starts going. She's going up, up, up. Uh, and on the way up, she had to rest. She's so tired. So she stops. She finds like this nice kind of part of the cliff that, you know, where she can sit down and she can rest. And, and her safety rope is being pulled up and kind of tightened because sometimes it can get like loose. And so it's, it's being tightened and, and it... It knocks her uh, right across the side of the face. Didn't hurt her, but it, it like went like that, and it knocked out her contact. Do y'all know what a, kids? Y'all know what a contact is? Contact lens. It's like instead of glasses, you put these little itty bitty lenses in your eye. They're they're invisible, and they're super tiny. It falls out, and now she's really really nervous and freaking out. And she's like, oh my, oh my, oh my god! And she she can't find it. She can't find her contact. So half blind, not being able to see. She, she keeps going up, she climbs up, she gets to the top. She gets to the top and she says a prayer. Jesus, please help me find my contact. And then literally like a minute later, other climbers that were coming up behind her yelled up, hey, did anyone lose a contact? And Elizabeth yells down, yes, 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 it's my contact. And this guy yells up and says, well, there's this ant down here carrying it. And he gets the contact and he takes it up to Elizabeth. Okay, now kids, imagine, just, just imagine that you are the ant. Okay, just for a second, like imagine you're the ant and you've gotta be thinking, Jesus, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. What is this thing? I can't eat it. I have no idea what it is. But if you want me to carry it, fine, I'll carry it. I think, like, if you're thinking like that ant, I think we can think like that about prayer sometimes, which is actually okay. Like, when you pray, I know, kids, when you pray sometimes, you're praying, you're like, does prayer really do anything? Like, I'm praying, 
Like, is anything really, really going to happen? And the good news is, oh, yes. Something really, 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 really big is happening when you pray. And that's why we pray. Y'all, those prayer requests that y'all threw out there, the prayer requests for like, you know, to the Lord, for COVID to end, uh, good day at school, all that. Those are such awesome prayers. And the Bible tells us to pray for even bigger, crazier stuff like for people to come to know Jesus, for us to know Jesus more. That stuff like I'm praying for people to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus more. I want other people to know Jesus. You're praying for someone to go from death to life. Crazy. And God says, guess what? That stuff happens when you pray for it. So we should pray for that stuff. We should pray that people would come to know Jesus, that he lived for us, that he died for us to save us. Because that prayer stuff works because the gospel of Jesus works. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, This spring, we're looking at the Apostle Paul's first and second letter to the Thessalonians. These are two of his earliest, earliest letters. uh, And he wrote them really back to back. uh, Dealing with this stuff of Jesus has come lived for us, died for us, he's been raised, and now he's ascended into heaven. He's come and he's gone. Now what are we supposed to do? And so Paul writes 1 Thessalonians because people aren't neglecting the Christian life because they think Jesus is going to come back like now, any minute. Like they're at the window looking up into the sky waiting for Jesus to show up. So they're not doing anything else. So Paul writes to them and says, y'all, no, stop it. Like wait for Jesus, but get back to work. Love God, love others, go. Well, then he has to write 2 Thessalonians, where we're, we're in right now, because people have gone the opposite way, and now they're thinking, oh, Jesus is already coming on, and what are we waiting for now? And they're losing all their hope, all their assurance that Jesus is really coming back to fix everything one day. So they forfeited their hope. So he's writing this second letter uh, to say, we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. You got to hold out that hope. To catch everybody up, the past two Sundays, we saw Paul uh, in this part of 2 Thessalonians. He's pointing up the glories of this really hard thing called election. Uh, that before the foundation of the world, God chose, he elected some for salvation. Not because of anything in them, not because of anything they've ever done, uh, but for reasons in and of himself. It's a super hard teaching in the Bible. It's always meant to be this great encouragement that God saves you from beginning to end. And now, today, Paul moves on in the letter to something that seems not only uh, as if it has nothing to do with election, it seems to be at odds with election. Okay, so here we go. Please stand for the reading of God's word, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Paul says, finally, brothers, and just that is always shorthand. That's just plural, which includes brothers and sisters. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
So I don't know if you noticed that, but Paul seems to be changing subjects rather quickly here, so quickly uh, that he says something that seems to be at odds with what he has just been saying about election, which he then, he turns to people and says, and now y'all pray. Because this is another problem people have with election, as in like, why pray? Isn't God going to carry out his plan regardless if his chosen people pray or not? Like, why pray for God's chosen people if they're already elect? And why bother to pray for the lost if in the end they're elect? And why bother to pray for the lost if in the end they're not elect? It's like, why pray? So, Bible-believing Christians sincerely object, both consciously and subconsciously, uh, that election and prayer are incompatible. They do not go together. But Paul and the Bible think they go side by side. Uh, the Bible always puts, think of it this way, God always puts, puts God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility, they always put them right next to each other, side by side, without ever hinting that there is any tension to God, there is no tension between his divine sovereignty and human responsibility. For us, it is a great mystery. So if you're going to be about this Christian faith thing, get used to mystery. And don't flatten the mystery. But I do think that let's try and help some of that tension. Um, I think this will help some of the tension. Uh, imagine a sailboat. heard this from a friend of mine. I love this. Imagine a sailboat. If, if you're going to sail you got to know how to cast off the port bow line. you got to know how to raise the main, unfurl the jib, stand by to tack, center the main. Uh, you gotta, I have no idea what any of that means. But I know you got to know that stuff. you got to do that stuff. Uh, or you don't sail. Okay, but what you need more than anything to sail is the wind. And you don't control the wind. When you sail, you're completely dependent on a power outside of you to move you forward where you need to go, but there is still something that you've got to do in order to move forward. Okay, so God's sovereignty and human responsibility, it's not like a jet ski where you, you, know, you, you, get, you have the power, you have the control, the steering, you can, you can decide how fast what pace you want to go. It's not like that. Uh, and God's sovereignty and human responsibility is not like tubing down a river with a drink, uh, kicking back, uh, and riding the current. No. Uh, God's sovereignty and human responsibility is like sailing. And in this Christian life, uh, the thing that you need to move you forward is a power outside of yourself that you are dependent on and that you can't control. And at the same time, there are skills that you've got to learn to catch the wind and move forward. And one of those skills is prayer. So yes, God chooses who he will save, and he saves those he chooses from beginning to end. And God tells Christians that they got to pray. So you can think of it like this. You can think of it as uh, ends and means to that end. If God gets to decide the end of all things, doesn't it make sense that he also gets to decide the means by which he will accomplish his ends? 
Yeah, so one of the means by which God accomplishes his ends is us praying. That's how that works. And this is one of those times when the Bible tells us what to pray for. Yay, verse 1. Paul says, y'all, y'all pray for us. Paul, an apostle who authors scripture, who led all of these Thessalonians to Christ just months earlier, is now asking these young Christians, brand new to the faith, to pray for him. I mean, what do you pray for an apostle? He gets specific. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord would speed ahead. And the us there, he says, pray for us. That includes his minister friends, Silas, Timothy, other people who are out uh, ministering the word, which means that this prayer request also applies to the pastors of our churches today. So your leaders, you here, your leaders need you to pray for us. Uh, we need you to pray for your elders, your deacons, your staff, your pastor. I mean, did that freak you out at all when I started that way of, hey, I need to ask you for a prayer? I should have paused longer uh, and, and <laughs> watched your reactions. Is it like to see where your mind would go? Like I, if it's stand up here, you, you know, and if I was really, really serious with dour face, I need to ask for your prayers. Maybe you would assume someone is sick. Uh, we ran out of money. Um, I'm wanted uh, by the police for embezzlement that's related to our running out of money. Um, I do have all, those are not my requests. I do have all kinds of requests. Here's Paul's request, requ request for himself and for me and for the servants, uh, our, our servants in ministry. It's this, pray for us to steward the word the gospel. Pray that we would preach, and I, I mean this, we need you to pray that we would preach and that we would teach the gospel faithfully, that we would do it with boldness and we would do it with grace, so that the gospel would gather people, people who believe it and people who don't believe it yet, that it would change us we need you to pray that, that the gospel would actually grow us together in fellowship as a family. We need to pray that the gospel would drive us, as it has done here, drive us to worship Jesus. That, that, that call to worship, that we need to pray that the gospel would actually do more than all we could ever ask or imagine it would do. I, I sincerely mean this. I am making this request. I do need you to pray for me that I would be faithful with the gospel. Uh, do y'all want to know who my, do y'all want to know who my biggest problem in ministry is? In this room. I want everyone to take a guess out loud on three and yell this person's name. Who do you think is my biggest problem? In <laughs> Staring at my brother. Uh, no. Okay. It's spoiler. It's me. Like, I am my biggest, I'm my biggest problem. Uh, my junk, my sin, my fears, my pride. And you, you're your biggest problem. And so I pray for you. I need you to pray for me. And I need you to pray for our leaders, our staff, our elders, our deacons. They're messed up. 
and they're the best, you know, but, but they need your prayers too. Like we, we need to be praying for each other. Uh, you, you don't have to pray. You do not have to pray for like outward success or that we would crush our opponents, whoever those might be. Uh, we need you to pray for our holiness and that we would hold on to this word and proclaim it faithfully. And that in the midst of opposition, and that brings up Paul's second prayer request here for us in verse two. He says this, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Wicked and evil men. Here's a fun Greek lesson, okay? Ready? Um, the word for wicked is the Greek word atapos, which if you think in the English, atapos, topography, okay? A place, location. Uh, uh, it's, it has to do with land. Uh, that's, that's the meaning here in the Greek. It means a, a place. And the A in front of tapos actually negates the word itself that follows. So it's a prefix. So what this means is not in place, out of place. So a lot of New Testament scholars think that Paul is talking about people actually within the church who aren't really part of the church. And given the, you know, given the reason that he's writing the letters to deal with false teaching in the church, what Paul is asking for in prayer here is, is prayer against opposition and persecution from false teachers in the church. New Testament scholar Greg Beale, wonderful New Testament scholar, says in his commentary on 2 Thessalonians, he says this, he says, nothing can blunt a church's effectiveness at spreading the gospel more than having a church filled with people who are not really Christians. Paul's prayer request is, listen, I, I need y'all to pray, deliver me from false teachers, imposters, you know, the sellouts, uh, the cowards, those who oppose the gospel and call themselves Christians. And loved ones, we need you to pray that for us too. A pastor uh, once said, that, that you need to pray that this would be our attitude. Uh, he said, listen, when you're, when you're in the foxhole and somebody pops up and shoots at you, you, you don't stand up and say, whoa, 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 was it something I said? Like, you get it. You understand it comes with the territory, and you try your best not to take it personally. Uh, this, is, this is the context in which we do ministry in the world. Uh, and we need, need to not take this stuff personally, but know that this stuff is there and be uh, prepared. Stand fast. And we need you to pray for us, and yes, your leadership prays for you. That's, that's implied here when Paul starts praying for the Thessalonians. Verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Very simply, we, we really do try to focus on two big things when we pray for y'all. Uh, we pray two things for your heart. For your heart to be directed at God's love and Christ's steadfastness. There's another way to say this. Uh, this is another one of those things that people in the church uh, try to separate. Uh, you, you know, you'll hear things like, hey, are you, listen, which side do you lean towards? Are you for God's grace or God's truth? Uh, a demeaning way this is asked sometimes in some circles is, are you one of those grace boys or, or do you stand for the truth? And, and those grace boys will puff up their chest and say, proudly, I'm one of those grace boys, which is all silliness. Both sides, silly. 
uh, as if you could separate those two. Uh, Paul wrote these two letters because of false teachers in opposition. We are going to be confronted by the same, and our prayer for you uh, is that you would stand fast in the truth and the love of the gospel with Jesus, who came full of grace and truth, and that you'd be unmoved by the world, that you would hold on to Jesus's love, his grace, and his truth. So this is what this sermon is. This is a sermon telling you to pray. Yay, we love those sermons. Because uh, here, here's what I know. I know if you have ever dabbled in prayer, uh, that you at some level are a frustrated prayer or uh, some of you are frustrated by prayer because you think, you think you're a bad prayer. Uh, as in like, listen, like this, love this, I don't know what to pray. I don't have the right words. I know friends, I know members in the church who are really, really good at praying. And, you know, they can like quote Bible verses. And, uh, and even if they're not quoting the Bible, like fooled me, it sounds like they're quoting the Bible. If they're not quoting the Bible, it sounds like stuff that should be in the Bible. So like they're really good at praying. I'm not, so I don't. Or uh, you, you, you know, the frustratedness of prayer, frustration with prayer, that thing of you jump to your, you, you want to get into it and you start doing it, you jump to your laundry list that is your to-do list for the day uh, and you pray for everything from, you know, work or whoever might be sick and needs to get well and you're starting to do this, you're on a new plan, praying day after day. And then it just gets to be overwhelming everything that you need to pray for. So you stop praying. All those things are all good things to pray for. We should pray for those things. But then you look at Paul's prayer list. He prays for things like faith, hope, love. He prays for the gospel to be spread. He prays for perseverance. We, we, including me, we typically pray for more money, for the healing of a loved one, uh, that God would give me the life uh, I want where everybody I know is happy and healthy, and I am happy and help healthy with some uh, security and comfort. Paul says to pray for the gospel for us and for you. As in, we are... Loved ones, we are created with hearts that have this, has this chasm in it. Your heart has this chasm, and you can dump truckloads of money and the coolest stuff and the coolest friends and sex and fun and vacation and houses. You can dump truckloads of that stuff into your life, but the, in the chasm of your heart, it disappears. The only one who will truly satisfy your life and fill your heart is Jesus Christ through his gospel. This is what we pray for. Prayer. If you think about, like, what is prayer? Prayer is basically asking that the gospel would really work in us, the church, and that the gospel would work in those who don't yet believe it, that they would believe it. Now, Okay, start talking about prayer. We've got to say something about the how. We've got to say something about the how. The how-to or this praying stuff is never going to happen. 
Uh, it's just going to be wishful thinking uh, and a waste of our time to even talk about this uh, this morning because there are more frustrations out there than the ones we've just listed. Like with prayer, some of you are frustrated with prayer because it makes you groggy. Like you get distracted, your mind wanders. Uh, you start to pray and it's just weird because you feel like you're talking to yourself and you can't keep it up for more than a few seconds. Some of you are so frustrated by prayer, frustrated by prayer because it's been so long and now it's really awkward to go to God and ask for something like going to a friend you haven't seen in a long time and asking for a friend, a late night airport pickup, something like that, like so awkward. Okay, uh, or uh, you don't feel it on the inside. You pray and you just don't feel, it doesn't feel like it's, it feels like you're going through the motions. Like you're saying, you're saying stuff you've heard other Christians talk about and say, uh, so it feels fake. And you don't want to be insincere with God. So you just don't pray. All of that, all of that truly does betray us because uh, all of that is actually praying to God to get something from God rather than praying to God to get God himself, which is what we're supposed to be praying for. Um, we've got to figure out, we've got to figure out how to pray. And when the Thessalonians hear of Paul's practice of praying, this is what they hear. They hear things like this. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always give thanks for you. Chapter 1, verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you. Chapter 2, verse 13. We always give thanks for you. This is how his very first letter, 1 Thessalonians, which he sent just weeks earlier, this is how the first letter starts. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Okay, so Paul's a prayer. We're supposed to be prayers. So here are just some, these are helpful suggestions. Take them or leave them. Just some practical how-to stuff, the practice of praying through the lens of how Paul describes prayer to the Thessalonians and, and elsewhere. First thing, y'all, be okay with being bad at prayer. Be so okay with being bad at prayer. We're all, we're all like that kid that wants to immediately be really good at that sport they've just picked up or that instrument they've just picked up, this subject they've just picked up. We want to be like that with prayer. And what do we tell those kids? What do we tell our friends? Practice, practice, practice. It's the same, you got to practice. Overwhelmed, bored, feeling insincere and insecure, fantastic, great. Those are actually not your biggest problems with prayer. Do you know your biggest problem with prayer? Each and every single one of you. Your biggest problem with prayer is just starting to pray. It's just starting to do it. The biggest, the, be okay being bad at prayer and just start. The, uh, uh, it's, it's like writers write, prayers pray. And you know how writers, when they get that writer's block stuff, you know how they sometimes get themselves writing again? They take someone else's material and they just start writing. And it will lead them off into their own voice and their own story and their own writing. Y'all do the same thing. Like that thing of what I don't know, I don't know where to even begin, how to pray for my pastor, how to pray for my leaders, how to pray for others. Use other prayers. 
I've got seven or so prayers from one of my Old Testament uh, professors who I love and adore like a grandfather kind of thing. I, like, I have written down his prayers from his classes. Those help me learn how to pray. They're beautiful. If you want them, I will send them to you. I've, I've prayed those prayers here in church. Those weren't even my words. That is totally okay. But like, use someone else's prayers. Uh, th- those will teach you how to pray. Devotionals, pick up a devotional. Songs, hymns, those are prayers that you sing. Fantastic, pray those. Sing those. Uh, how about this? Uh, use the Bible's prayers. The Lord's prayer. That is a fan, you know, look at it. I'm not the Lord's prayer. And the disciples go to Jesus and they're like, hey, how do we teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Great. Pray this. Y'all, pray the Lord's prayer. Like you wake up in the morning, I can't think. Fantastic. Pray the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer. uh, Some of my faves, Psalm 23, Psalm 131, John 17. That's a really long prayer. Uh, Pray that one. That's Jesus's prayer for us. Ephesians 3, the very end of Ephesians, the most beautiful prayer in the Bible. Do you want to teach those with kids? You want to teach your kids how to pray? How about that? You want your kids to memorize scripture? Teach them to memorize a prayer from the Bible. Double whammy. Nailed it. This is like, you don't, you don't have the words, the Bible has you covered. Like, start there. Start with those prayers. I promise you, they will lead you off into your own prayers and your own words, and you can do that. You have the freedom to start with Scripture and then finish with your own words. Uh, and, and, and then there's this, the last little tip. Uh, we do need to restructure our day. Uh, no one, we, we don't wake up, we don't wake up and say, dang, I literally have nothing to do today. No one says that. Not in Houston. None of you do. Like, we, we structure our day around something. Everything from work, school, errands, recreation, commitments. And uh, we Christians say, okay, at some point in this day, I hope I'll have time to pray and I'll, I'll get to it. No you, no, you won't. You won't. Maybe once in a blue moon. And, and, and now, modern Christians, we put so much pressure on ourselves to have that morning diva, that quiet time experience, which if you have been able to do that, and stick with, that is fantastic. Just one encouragement to the morning diva people is, you should probably add another little time later in the day, like a moment or two later in the day, into the day, so that it's not a thing you just check off, you know, you check that box and then you move on without Jesus in the rest of your day. All I have to say is we've got to figure out a way to restructure our day um, to be with Jesus throughout the day. Uh, ancient Christians structured their days with smaller chunks of time for prayer, morning, uh, afternoon, and evening. And like little chunks of time. So that they had Jesus and they were integrating the gospel into their whole day. Y'all can do this in a million different ways. A million different ways. I'll, you want to know how I've started to do it this year? I set an alarm. If you're with me, you'll hear my, Ryan heard my phone go off like for weeks. I was like, what is that? And the beginning, I was like, it's just a reminder. I, like, I need it. I need it to pray. I need it like to remind me to pray. It's my little alarm to pray. Set an alarm. Do something to remind you, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then take all of five seconds to groan toward heaven 
to say a little something, I love you, uh, five minutes, fantastic. Just got to redirect yourself to Jesus in prayer uh, and, and try this. The point is, the point is this, is hoping you're going to pray uh, won't get you praying. Uh, you got a plan. Dwight D. Eisenhower once said, I was reminded of this by my father-in-law, uh, plans are worthless, but planning is everything. That is so good. Uh, as in, uh, it will not, you need to set a plan, and it's not going to go according to plan. Fantastic, readjust. As needed. And remember, be okay with being bad at prayer and just start to pray. And, and here's, the real, here's the real encouragement here. The motivation, like the motivation to pray, it's here. The great motivation for prayer is that God says the gospel really, really, really works, so pray for it. Paul had confidence in the Lord, he says, verse 4. He had confidence in the Lord. We can have confidence in the Lord, so pray. God guarantees the gospel really does save because he's the one at work in the gospel. This is why Paul's prayer request in verse 1, it uses this imagery of victory, which is not super clear in the ESV or the NIV translation, which says this, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. That is, pray that the word of the Lord would run ahead to certain glory. Y'all know this, the Summer Olympic Games, they're, they're back just uh, weeks away. They begin this summer in July. That's the image here. Paul, Paul's writing this letter from Corinth, and Corinth is where they held the Isthmian, 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 whatever, uh, games. Uh, it's the, it, the image here is a runner competing triumphantly in the games. Like when the runners uh, run and they win, they get the prizes, they get the medal, they get the honor, they get the glory. And Paul uses the image, he uses the image of himself running the race of the Christian life to win the prize of glory. He does this in other letters. It's, but here, here, the image is not of Paul running the race. Here, the image is the gospel itself running the race for the prize of glory. It's the gospel who will speed ahead to victory over people's hearts, over false religions and philosophies that are currently competing with the gospel and currently hold unbelievers in their grasp. Now, we're not naive. Paul's not naive. He's, not, he's also not, he, he's not a cynic. He's a realist. And he acknowledges in verse 2 that not everybody is going to come to faith. He knows that. And, and we, can, we can go a step further, and we can admit it does not look like the gospel is winning the race. You look at, y'all, I don't know if you looked at the world today, this past week, you look at the world, you look at culture, you look at, look at your circles, your friends, your family. Does it look, does it look to you like the gospel is winning the race? Or does it look like it's a jogger getting lapped by sprinters. There's another frustration with prayer is you pray for things. You pray for really good things. Things like people coming to the faith. And you pray for a long time and nothing happens. Or the opposite of what you're praying for happens. But we've got to remember when Paul wrote this. 
when Paul wrote this, things looked really bleak. As in, he was routinely thrown out of towns or arrested, beaten, and every time he was beaten, he was nearly killed. All of those things happened on his way to Thessalonica and while he was in Thessalonica. And now here he is writing them back saying, hey, y'all remember all that stuff? Yeah, and you know the gospel is winning this race. Like, what? And Paul says, yes, of course. And, and y'all know this is not just a future hope. This is something that is presently happening as in, this is a present victory I'm talking about. The gospel works, he says, verse two, as happened among you, Thessalonians. Yes, let's admit that the gospel is a message of weakness. As in, you cannot save yourself. This is what the gospel says. You can't save yourself. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. And life is hard and then you die. And Jesus has to save you. And he did it by dying. Like that's a message of weakness. And the gospel is on its victory march right now, even before it reaches that ultimate finish line when Jesus comes back. The, the race Paul is probably thinking of is probably a horse race. That was the big one in the Isthmian Games in Corinth, the chariot races. We, we don't have chariot races anymore, but the horse racing, we, we, we have horse racing. It's still uh, popular today. Jonah, the Preakness Stakes was yesterday. Uh, the second jewel of the Triple Crown went to Rombauer. Uh, uh, the Triple Crown, it starts with the Kentucky Derby, goes to the Preakness just weeks later, and then it ends with the Belmont Stakes. And just, it's coming up in a couple weeks. The excitement of a horse race. If, you, if you've never seen a horse race, you probably know the excitement is the race going back and forth between three or four other horses with one edging another and then another catching up, coming out of nowhere, edging in front of the others. And then, it, you know, it's awesome when you get that photo finish and like you don't even know who won and you got to wait. Those are awesome. It's so exciting. Too close to call. But, 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 what about the races where it's neck and neck? It's neck and neck, and then about 100 yards left to the finish line, your favorite horse, or this wonderful horse, gets into the lead by one length, two lengths, three lengths, uh, until it's certain that he, he's, you know, he's going to win. Like, do you stop cheering for that horse? No, not when it's certain that he's going to win. And some of you, some of you uh, remember, some of you here remember watching the greatest horse race ever, uh, the greatest horse, race horse ever win the Triple Crown in 1973, Secretariat. You can find that race online, uh, and they've made a movie called Secretariat. Uh, Secretariat had to fight off another incredible horse, uh, Sham, who, if Secretariat wasn't around that year, Sham would have won the Triple Crown, probably. Uh, he had to fight off Sham, this awesome horse, to win the Derby in the Preakness. At the third race, the Belmont, Secretariat and Sham were neck and neck uh, for the first half mile of this one and a half mile race. Neck and neck with Sham actually pulling forward at points. And their, their pace, like out of the gate, the pace was crazy. 
Like it was an insane pace. It's the, it's the fastest pace uh, set at the Belmont. Uh, everyone watching the pace thought it was way too fast. Thought, thought it was way, way, way too fast um, uh, and that uh, Secretariat was going to tire and that this was like the, the strategy of, of Sham, uh, that they were going to tire Secretariat out uh, and that Sham, would go, the, Sham, the bigger horse, would go on to, to win it. Okay, but halfway through the race, neck and neck, this incredible pace, Sham starts to tire. And with a half mile left, Secretariat continues the unbelievable pace, opening up a larger and larger margin lead on the rest of the field. Four links, six, nine, 11. And as he's entering the final turn, the CBS announcer, you go online and listen to this, the announcer's screaming in his now famous com commentary, Secretariat is widened now. He's moving like a tremendous machine. And by the final stretch, Secretariat opened a lead of almost one sixteenth of a mile on the rest of the field. And the Secretariat, at that point, Secretariat had become like America's darling horse, like the hero horse. Okay, did the crowd stop cheering for Secretariat as he literally ran away with the race? No, 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 no. Uh, some went bonkers crazy with excitement, like cheering their heads off. Some went silent with absolute awe and disbelief at what they were witnessing. Y'all, this is what praying for the gospel in its race is like. In the movie, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, but the movie really, really captures this. In the, in the movie, a secretariat makes the final turn to the last stretch. The there's this really, really tense music that's been going on for the whole race. It, it quiets down to, to just silence. And then there's this voiceover from Secretariat's owner, Penny Tweedy, Petey, uh, Penny Chinnery, uh, and she's quoting Job 39. This is actually how the movie begins, so it's like come full circle now. She's quoting uh, Job 39 about the wonder of God's creation of the horse. It says this, the horse, he laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. And then, bam, Secretariat turns the corner, and he is flying. All you hear are pounding hooves and, and Secretariat snorting. And then all of a sudden, this gospel choir comes on, belting the gospel song, Oh Happy Day. Only they start in the middle of the song with the choir singing, he, that is Jesus, he taught me how to watch fight and pray and then the shot and then the shot from Secretariat the gospel song is going off it cuts to Eddie Sweet and Eddie Sweet is, is Secretariat's groom he's his caretaker who is with him he takes he's always with Secretariat he knows Secretariat better than anyone he's with him he knows what Secretariat can do and it cuts to Eddie Sweet and, and the look on his face it is just shock and awe as he's beholding the awesomeness of Secretariat and all he can say is Oh, glory. Like, are you kidding me? This is the, this is like, what, this is the amazing metaphor of what it is like for us to pray on this gospel 
in its race. And in the final stretch, the lead is now 24 links, 26 links. Everyone is cheering Secretariat on to go faster. 28 links and still surging. And as he crosses the finish line, winning by 31 lengths, the gospel choir at the same time is triumphantly declaring, oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. The Job 39 quote is so, so good. The purpose of Job 39 there in the Bible <laughs> is to convince Job it's to convince, this is God convincing Job of his incompetence for the role of world governor while magnifying the awesome wisdom of God who actually is creation's ruler. God, so here, God says to Job, look at my creation and, the, and how awesome it is. Even my horses are not afraid of man's wars and battles for greatness. Like, do you see the ultimate vanity of human wisdom, the ultimate vanity of mankind's cultural strivings to be their own gods? He says, who is God? Like, who is truly the ruler and king of creation? And who do you think wins in the end? It's not even a race. The gospel of Jesus it is antithetical to the worldly standards of success. But to those who see the race by faith, the gospel of Jesus living the life that we should live, dying and suffering the punishment of hell in our place on the cross, his resurrection and triumph over death and sin and the devil and every opposition, his ascension and reigning in heaven right now, his certain return at the end, and our forgiveness secured, our walk with God secured, our eternal life and the glory to come secured. The victory is won. Are we going to stop praying and cheering on the gospel to the finish? Loved ones, our prayers are prayers of, oh, glory. Oh, happy day. Pray for us as we pray for you. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.